Hey guys, I'm Rob. And I'm Ashton. And this is the We Held It Together podcast. A podcast on faith, marriage, and mental health. And a bunch of random stuff. We hope you enjoy. Hey guys, we're here today with Melanie, and um, we are here to just talk about some of you know her history with mental illness and how this affected her faith and her marriage. And we're really excited to have her on today to just chat with us a little bit um, and kind of yeah, hear definitely. her story. Um, so Melanie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey guys. Well, it's exciting to be here. My name is Melanie Wilson and I am a coach, a teacher, a trainer, um, currently living in Delaware. And, um, for years I have struggled with depression and anxiety and it was all consuming. And there's a lot of depths to my story, but you know, it all comes down to it. God has always been present in it. He has loved me through it. And I am here as a result of his power and him being a keeper of promises. So I have been married Amazing. for 25 years. I know. (laughs) Long time. We have two daughters. Um, Jenna is 24 and Nicole just turned 21 on June 29th. Um, I still look at my husband and say like, we're the parents. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, no, we're the parents. He's like, babe, I know. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Like we're the parents. (laughs) So it's, it's been quite the journey and I am just thrilled to have this opportunity, this platform, because I've never really talked about the marriage part. Um, so I am just incredibly excited to have this opportunity and what you guys are doing to provide this platform is just a magnificent thing. So thank you for being obedient to to that nudge. Thank you for coming on. We're excited to hear your story more and dive into it. Um, so you were talking about being like a coach for women. Um, did this passion stem from your mental illness or do you feel like this was something you always wanted to do? Well, I've always been a teacher, a coach in some form or fashion, whether it was teaching dance, coaching volleyball, being in a classroom teaching, I've always done that. So I never had that, that area of fog or uncertainty of what my purpose is, what my calling was, right. because whenever I was in that, um, that role, I felt a void. So I always knew that teaching and impacting lives was what God was calling me to do. Um, but through the years, you know, I started out teaching and coaching, working with kids. And then I moved into the business arena where I was an executive coach and I worked with large corporations. Now you guys aren't from Delaware, but Christiana care, Bay health, Arcadia, five star, like these are substantial organizations in our area, um, university of Delaware. So a lot of big organizations were hiring me to come in and restructure you know, change the dynamic of their culture, do behavior analysis, um, hire, fire, move people around, get things working the way that it should so people could leave and have an impact in whatever their industry was. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, But a little background before that, I was, we had a horse farm in Pennsylvania and I had started a school of equine studies. So I certified in equine massage, certified in stretching and joint release, working with horses. And it was You're amazing. speaking my language. <laughs> I, I grew up, I grew up showing and, horses. So 
Oh, love it. Yeah. So I wrote a degree program for a local college and my husband built me a learning center on our facility. So anything that was horse related, the students would come to my facility. And I felt like that was it. Like God said, here you are. This is exactly what I need you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is where I need you to be. So I was rescuing horses and they were coming into my program where they got fussed over all day long. They were being groomed and massaged and nurtured and loved on and just allowed to be free spirited animals. They weren't, you know, in that structured riding program anymore. You know, right. they weren't being um, demanded to perform for hours and hours. It was just really beautiful. And I felt so complete, so nourished, but during that time with the depression and anxiety, and of course, you know, we're going to get into all of it, but the PTSD and all of these things, I also had back issues since I was little and I was prescribed a vast, um, selection of pills yeah. and with the depression and anxiety, which I wasn't aware of how powerful it was at that time. And then the back pain, I would take a handful of pills in the morning, go out and teach. And of course I'm standing in a barn on my feet for four right. hours. Then we would break for lunch. I would come in, I wouldn't eat. I would take another handful of pills. I would lay down and ice my back, heat my back, whatever I needed to do. And then I would go back out for another four hours. And that became the way that I functioned using pills to get through everything and anything. Mm. Um, and then it came to the point where I had to have major back surgery. And basically the surgeon said, and I was 26, 27 at the time. And he said, Mel, here's the thing. You either change your lifestyle and have the surgery, or you're going to end up in a wheelchair with a poop bag and your kids taking care of you. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with that? And I prayed and prayed. And every night I would disappear from the house and I would go out into the barn and just sit with my horses. And it was really hard yeah. because I felt so passionate and so convicted that that was what God wanted me to do. And now here I'm being asked to give all that up and make a change. And I just couldn't make sense of it. Just couldn't make sense of it. So that was a very difficult time. And I think that was when the actual depression and anxiety started to reveal itself in a way that I could say, I have depression and anxiety. Yeah. It started to have a name. It, it took on like an existence that I could start to relate to. Um, so, so Melanie, we sold everything. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Ahead, I was just curious. Um, was that something you kind of discovered on your, in yourself or did someone kind of call that out in you just like calling it depression, you know, struggling with anxiety? Um, right. Well, it ran in my family. It, it runs okay. rampant in my family. And a majority of my grandparents, my uncle, we've got suicide and addiction and all these things in my family history, but no one ever actually got diagnosed. It was after their deaths that it was evaluated like, hey, they were actually suffering from this. Like my grandmother was bipolar, but wouldn't go to a doctor. You know, so we yeah. noticed all these things and my mom suffered and I witnessed her suffering. But again, we never knew what it really was. So what happened was my husband would say, you know, oh, how much Vicodin did you take today? You're being nasty. You're sad. You're angry. Like you're irritated. Like he could tell every time I had a handful of pills because yeah. it would trigger. And I think he was probably the first one to say, 
I'm noticing when you do this, this happens. And we blamed it on the medication. We didn't say it was depression and anxiety. We said it was the result of the medication. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it was this vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where did you go from there? You, you know, you, you're kind of realizing you have depression and anxiety. You're giving up what you felt like God was putting before you and your whole life is pivoting now. Yeah. So we ended up back in Delaware so I could have the back surgery. And that was when my purpose was actually confirmed because for the first time here I am sitting on the couch recovering from a major surgery and I wasn't active, involved, engaged in any way to teach an impact. And that's when I realized, okay, this is it. This is what I'm called to do. So we had found a new church, which I absolutely loved. And there was a, a notice in the bulletin that they needed substitute teachers. And I thought, this is ideal. I can get back into teaching and impacting lives with being a substitute. They can call me, but at this point, I'm still in a back race. If I'm not okay, I can say I can't come in. They can go to the next substitute. But if I am okay, then I can show up. And I'm, this is the best way to get back into that. Um, I went in for the interview in my back brace and heels, <laughs> which wasn't really a good thing, but it was, you know, I gotta, I gotta show up looking like this, even though I have to wear the back brace. Yeah. And First impressions. It was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and basically they were like, you know what? We want you full time. Can you start, you know, next Monday? And I'm like, um, yeah, but here I am still taking opioids and now I'm in front of a classroom of children and taking a handful of pills before I would show up to teach. And no one knew, no yeah. one knew. Um, but then that through that time of being in that school was when God actually revealed to me a small piece of what he was working on for my life. And that was to get into the coaching and the counseling. So I ended up leaving the school from being a teacher within the organization to the executive coaching where I actually came on the outside and now got to rebuild that school leadership and structure and all these beautiful things. Um, and it really took off. I was thriving, but as you probably know, Robert, with depression and anxiety, it's like you have these, these false senses of I've got this, it's under control. Nobody knows. And I was running like crazy to hide my authentic self. I didn't want anyone to see the real authentic version of me that was broken, that did have depression, that did have anxiety, that was suffering from trauma and all of these different things. Um, yeah. And God started to reveal in a big way. It was time to, to reveal. Yeah. Yeah. We're really good actors. <laughs> yeah. We're actresses. Yeah. <laughs> putting it, putting masks. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. That only lasts for so long. Yeah. It think, totally so. does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so after all that, was it going to the doctor finally for that, you know, specifically depression and anxiety or how did that go? Well, we noticed that I was really struggling to sleep and, you know, a lot of, a lot of things were going on. So I kept being prescribed medication. I did go to counseling and so forth. Um, but again, I was never authentic. I never actually was honest with myself. I wasn't honest with the people that were trying to help me. And it finally came out, you know, you do have depression, you do have anxiety. Here's the medication we're going to put you on. 
Well, when you have depression and anxiety and you're using opioids to cope with life and then they add additional medications in, you know, I mean, I just had such a selection of, of medication to take. And I, I just started taking these handfuls of pills several times throughout the day to keep functioning. And by the grace of God, I am alive. I've never hurt myself. Yeah. I've never hurt anybody else. Um, I don't know how there were times where I completely blacked out. I was totally unaware of how I got to where I was, what was happening, driving a vehicle. I mean, standing in front of groups of, of professionals, doctors and nurses, and no one ever noticed. Or maybe they noticed, but no one ever took the, the opportunity to say, hey, are you okay? Right. And that was a really challenging thing for me because I was so busy serving and teaching and providing and giving and doing that it consumed me. Yeah. It mm -hmm. consumed me. And I eventually, I eventually hit a rock bottom and um, you know, there was the self-sabotage. Like when you talk about self-sabotaging right here, it's all <laughs> I did all of it. I did all of it. I used to say the only thing I haven't done was, was murder. Yeah. Everything else, like I self-sabotaged from A to Z, except for the M for murder. Like I missed that one. So, it, so was, did, it was, it was difficult. Did someone have to step in and say, Hey, Melanie, we're recognizing this in you. Or did you hit rock bottom and you were like, I need help. How did that kind of yeah. transpire? I wish it was, Hey, I need help. But my marriage was really unhealthy we were both kids with our own baggage and we came into a marriage with additional baggage and we tried to adult in a very big way. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to be loved. I didn't know how to receive love. Neither did my husband. We came from divorced families. It wasn't a healthy example for us. We didn't know how to be in a relationship with, with each other and love each other well. We were doing things for love, but not from a place of love. And that's a game changer. So we were struggling. I kept trying to leave. My husband just refused to let it happen. We did separate, you know, several times, but he was relentless. Like this isn't happening and you're, you're not, this isn't, it's not an option, not an option. And things got awful, absolutely awful. And I had moved out. I was living at my mom's still tons and tons of pills. I can't even fathom how I was able to stand up, let alone function throughout a day with the amount of drugs in my system. Yeah. And I didn't know, but my husband went to my family and said, this is a problem. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We're noticing this. We're seeing that. And they ended up having an intervention. So it was like the, the live TV thing you see. I was going to say, I feel like I I'm was, a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a banner. Like, this lady, yeah. This lady came into my room at like 530 in the morning, put this dog on my bed. And I'm like, you know, of course I'm, I'm waking up still, you know, full of narcotics because it's never actually out of my system. And I'm like, what is happening? And she was like, Melanie, my name is, I think her name was Joanne. <laughs> I'm here to help you and your family. Can you come out and sit with us? And I'm like, 
And of course, at this time, the anxiety is through the roof. Like my armpits are itching. I'm shaking. <laughs> my stomach is upset. Like my head is throbbing. And I'm like, what is happening? And I was like, okay, let me brush my teeth. So I go out in the family room. And all of my family is sitting there. And my dad pats the couch cushion next to him. He says, come sit with me. Yeah. And I sat there and I listened. But at that point, you know, and, and anyone who's been in that situation will tell you, I didn't believe any of it. You know, you guys are making this up. It's not as severe as you think. That's crap. You know, I was tired or, you know, oh, I forgot that I was supposed to do that. I was making up all these excuses and and then it, and it happened. It happened. And, you know, I had to pack up. I was given, you know, the ultimatum, like you choose at this point to go and get help or everyone you see here is stepping away. Yeah. And wow. That is something. That is something. So I went, um, my husband invested a crap ton of money to put me in the best place that he could find. And I remember being there and I didn't have to go through detox. I never looked the part, you know, I've got perfect teeth. I mean, even going to rehab, like my hair was fixed, my makeup was done. Like I was dressed, like I was, you know, getting ready to walk on a stage in front of clients. I just... I never carried myself in a way that people would say, oh, she's an addict, she's suffering, she has problems. Because like you said, Robert, I was really good at hiding it. And even when I got there, the girls there were like, why are you here? And I'm like, well, my family made up these stories. They're like, yeah, same thing. And it was just like a bunch of crap. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And People are feeding into that. Yeah. You know, so when you put yourself with people who are at your level or below your level, you're going to be thinking a certain way and what you're thinking you're living right here. I am thinking I don't belong. So I'm living with this false sense of confidence. You know, I don't have a problem. You know, I never used drugs in a way that it was abusive. I didn't doctor hop. I didn't go out on a corner. I wasn't buying heroin. Like I'm not like these people. And you know, I'm sitting there and one of the girls said to me, you know, how did you use, did you use needles? And I looked at her and I was like, are you kidding me? I would never do that to myself. That's not the kind of person I am. And she started to cry and she was like, well, that's how I used." And I'm like, oh my God, what, what is happening here? Like yeah. I am no different than these people. Just because I didn't use needles doesn't mean I wasn't headed in that direction. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was that sin shock. And it kind of put me in a place where, you know what, you have got to start letting people in. You have got to reveal the broken parts of you because if you don't repair it, you're going to continue to repeat it. If we don't get to the root of it, we'll never get to the results of the healing and the rising up, which is what God wants for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've never talked about this and I am just... Well, we, I mean, we're blown away that you're willing to share it with us. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. Mean, we can relate on a lot of levels. Yeah, um, it's, I'm just listening to this and amazed at, um, you know, I think in it, you feel so alone. 
and people don't understand and you make up all these excuses and yeah, you want people to ask how you're doing, but you put on, you, you lie to them, you put on a face. It's like this vicious cycle. And, um, but you, you lie to yourself so much and it takes a while. The addiction is so real. It just takes a while for that fog to clear. And it's because I totally understand and remember it, it was a while of me lying to myself. Oh yeah, I'm not that bad. Or these aren't that serious, you know? Um, yeah. Or, well, if they were in my shoes, I mean, they'd be doing the same yeah, thing. Or like <laughs> this medication, you know, I mean, I made up every excuse, antidepressants, they don't even know. know how they work. So what's the difference between yeah. that? Like street drugs, you know, like <laughs> exactly. you ask, it's like, we think that they work in this way. Like, it's like, man, are you serious? This is the 21st century. I know. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So, but I definitely understand. And honestly, very glad that you, you know, were able to find healing and all that. So for sure. So you asked me the question about has, did someone intervene and all of these years of, of suffering this going on, it wasn't until I was at that rehab that a psychologist said, you have clinical depression, you have severe anxiety you also have PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point where it's like, okay, these things are real, but still here I am very, very immature, very um, resistant to accepting that I needed help. And I fought, I only stayed there six days. I was wow. able to manipulate the counselors to get me to a phone, to call my husband and tell him, I don't belong here. I want to come home. And he thought when he sent me to rehab that that was the end of our marriage, that I would never come back to him, but he didn't care. Yeah. He wanted me healthy. He wanted me to heal. And he was willing to sacrifice our marriage to get me to a place where he knew I deserved to be. And I called him and I said, I'm coming home to you. Come get me. And the next day he was there to pick me up and- that was so not the right decision, which, you know, we'll talk about too, but I was still able to, to fake, to manipulate, to control, to lie. And I've got chills and I actually feel a little dizzy as I'm taught. I've never, you guys, this is the first time I've ever had this conversation out loud. Well, I didn't expect all of this. <laughs> well, we, like I said, we are so blessed that you are willing to share it. And I think also, um, all I can think of when you're talking about, I know that you had bumps in your marriage um, and stuff like that, but I, I see an example of Christ's love by your husband being willing to sacrifice your marriage to get you the help that you need. And yeah. that is an example of God's love for you and for all of us. And the fact that every time you called him and you wanted to come home, he didn't question it. He welcomed you in with open arms. And I, again, I just think like, man, that's God's love for us. Like that is it right there. And such a beautiful example. And while it wasn't maybe the best decision for you to leave rehab at that point in time, I did the same thing with Robert when he called me and told me like, get me out of this hellhole," And I was and there. I left work and I went to go pick him up. You need, yeah. Praise God. I had 
people in my life and well, family members that saw through my BS <laughs> and were like, no, 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 no. This is going to take a long time. Like we know how this works. And unfortunately I was a great manipulator for Ashton, yeah. for the doctors. I mean, even prior to all that, I'm thinking about you talking about this plethora of medications that you had access to. It's, yeah. it's sad, but it's very easy to medicate yourself almost. You just talk yeah. to these doctors yeah. and, and they, give them, they give you what they want. It's weird. Well, and, and we've talked about that with mental illness. There's not, a, there's not a test. There is a piece of paper that you answer five questions on. There's not a um, blood test or something for them to yep. look at you and see. You have you know, cancer, or you, you have this or that, or diabetes. It's, it's really just how, you're, how you express it is how you're diagnosed. And so you have to be first your own advocate, but you can also be your own worst enemy by either not sharing the right things or yeah. um, sharing what you want to share so you can get what you want. So I know finally it was like my mom. Ashton came with me and it was like, <laughs> we weren't man, letting it happen anymore. <laughs> came out. And my doctor, I'm like, he, Oh Lord. You know? <laughs> I'd come, you know, right, right. a week before and been like, you know, it's really not that bad. I'm feeling good. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, you can, it's, you know, I think it's something if you are in the medical profession to, but it's hard. I don't know yeah. the answer to that, but I know that yeah. you can be like, yeah, my anxiety is so bad get those benzos. You can be like, you know, and it's, oh man, I, I'm having trouble focusing. Oh, let's get some amphetamines. Um, I'm having, you know, whatever the case may be, you can find, I mean, I remember I I could find doctors that I knew I could manipulate. But I think that the good news is, praise the Lord, is that you guys both are not manipulating doctors. Oh, on the other side, my doctor, I've never had such an open relationship. Yeah. And I think that's such an amazing blessing. And I think that, you know, Melanie, as hard as this is for you to share, I am so thankful that you are able to share it and you are able to give a story of victory and sharing the goodness of where you are now. I know it's been a long road. (laughs) I know it's been a long road to get here, but we are so thankful that like you are able to share the goodness of it. I mean, there is darkness, but where there's darkness, like God is able to shed his light. And I think that's, yeah. that's so cool. And just an amazing story. Yeah. 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 For, for both of us. And you know, it's men don't usually talk about it. So, you know, you've got this whole me too movement and, you know, um, get rid of the stigma and suicide awareness and all these things. And it seems like the spotlight is women, 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 but, mental illness does not discriminate, you know? So like when I came across you guys and I'm like, this is huge because, you know, Robert is the one that was suffering and Ashton, you had to step in and and figure this out from your perspective. Like, what do I do? How do I not enable, but support and encourage? Like, how do I lift him up, but not actually carry him? Right. It's, it's such an intricate dance that takes place. And you know, so Robert, you and I both share a very similar story to we're on the other side of it. And because of what we've gone through, all of the parts of what we've gone through, it is now that we're able to 
stop blocking the glory of God and start sharing our story in a way that he can use us to reach his people who were sitting right where you and I once sat. Yeah. Our story, which I didn't realize it's my story that has allowed my, my coaching business show rise to explode the way it has because instead of, Oh, I can help you but I've never been there instead of, Oh girl, I see you. I hear you. I know you, you are not alone. When I was there, this is what happened. This is what you can expect together. We're going to do this to get you to the other side of it. So we can use our stories now in a way that can break other people free from this bondage of crap that is just on this spinning cycle in our head that, you don't have to do it alone. You're not yeah. expected to do it alone. We were created to be in community and God says, share your burdens. Yeah. Yeah. For Come sure. Up and, and step into battle with someone else because you can help that person get one step further than they are right now. And praise the Lord for that. But when I look back, you know, we're, we're talking about the self-medicating. When I look back, I started with, um, Benadryl couldn't sleep. So I started taking Benadryl one or two pills and three or four pills and that's not working. So I'll take the Benadryl with some NyQuil and like, that's how that cycle started. And then you start having conversations with doctors. Like I, I can't, I can't sleep. I'm having trouble. Well, here's the, these pills that'll help you with sleeping. I'm so anxious, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's some Xanax. You know, I'm having trouble focusing. Oh, here's some Adderall. You know, my back is, is so painful. Well, here's some Oxy. You know, I'm having spasms like crazy. Here's some Flexerol. So yeah. I had a drawer full and then, oh, I get headaches from this. Oh, well, here's this. I get upset stomachs from this. Oh, here's this. So I literally had everything to give me everything I wanted to feel or not feel or to numb yeah. myself completely. And you were going and to one doctor for all of this. I had, I had three doctors. I had my family doctor. And then I had a psychologist and then I had my, my back surgeon. So that's how I was able to get, you know, like the nausea medication and the stuff for headaches and sleeping. And then I was able to get the antidepressants and the, the attention deficit medications. And then I was able to get the pain medication. Right. So I had the right team to give me the right medications so I could self-medicate and cope and control and nobody knew. Right. So you had like yeah. a perfect cocktail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you always pay the piper. You go up, oh, you yeah. gotta come, you gotta come down. So it, it just yeah. gets worse. Yeah. So through that, I mean, you know, you're out of rehab, you're, you're coming home to your husband and yeah. I mean, this has got to be taking a toll on your marriage. This is got to be taking a toll on your faith. Um, kind of like, like, how did you, how did you come through this? Like, where did you go from there? <laughs> okay. So you said I'm out of rehab. I was out of the building. Okay. I was not out of the rehab. There we go. So when I came home, my husband would not let me out of his sight. I couldn't shower alone. I couldn't go to the bathroom alone. Anytime I went to the cabinet where the medication was, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. We've been there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, can you just get off my back? I'm just getting chapstick. All right. Are you ever going to trust me again? Like, is this how we're going to live? And then it was like, I started to fear him. And not once did he ever threaten me with anything. 
he showed up and I tell him now that he loved me back to life. He's my hero, my world, and my heart. And I have journals upon journals upon journals of praying over our marriage, praying over me. There are entries in there, Robert, where I actually said, I'm going to detox. I'm actually wondering if I'm addicted. And then, you know, a couple of days later, I'm not addicted. I went back to everything. I'm fine. I'm coping. Things are good. And praying over my marriage, praying over my marriage. Um, yeah. So it, it was really mm. tough. I also had an eating disorder because I grew up a dancer. Yeah. So this is all so complicated. Yeah. Well, I would exercise excessively because anytime I did eat, I would punish myself. So I was working out seven days a week, six, seven hours a day. I was doing so much yoga, so much walking, so much conditioning that I ended up blowing out both my elbows. Mm. Well, I had to have the one elbow operated on. I was scheduled for that surgery prior to the intervention. Well, of course I couldn't have it because I had to go to rehab. Well, once I came home, the surgery now got back on the schedule. And when we were in the um, pre-op room, my husband said to the doctor, I do not want her on any pain medication. And he said, it's not possible. She has to have pain medication. So I go through the surgery. We pray, we're crying. I come out of it. We come home. I have pain medication. He's monitoring it. Well, then it ends up on my nightstand and I would go up to go to the bathroom and take one. Things in our marriage were unbelievably hard. So much screaming and yelling. We just, like I said, we were babies coming into it. We had our own baggage. We established additional baggage. We didn't know how to adult. Then you add all these complications and it got to a point, I'm standing there in a sling. It's a Sunday morning, screaming and yelling at each other. I just want to go to church. Can we please just go to church? And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And he's standing at the door with his back to me. My daughter's down the hallway. And I went over to that bottle of pills and there were 40 pills left in there. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have the answer. I could take all these pills I'll be gone. I release him from all this responsibility. My kids don't have to worry. Like everyone will be free. Like I absolutely have the answer. So I took that whole bottle of pills. I threw it at him and I said, here you go. I've just fixed everything. And he's like, what did you do? And he starts screaming for my daughter. And my daughter at that point was in high school. She come running down the hallway and he says, mom just took this whole bottle of pills and she looked at me and said, Oh my God, mom, what have you done? I can't live without you. Yeah. And it mm. just exploded from there. Um, they took me to the emergency room and fortunately because of all the years with all the drugs, that 40 Dilaudin wasn't enough to even knock me out. And I remember, I'm actually shaking right now. <laughs> I remember the nurses, and this is, this is the problem that we have with mental illness. I'm laying in there, you know, fresh out of rehab, fresh out of a surgery, suffering severely from depression and anxiety and PTSD. I just tried to commit suicide. And the nurses are saying, she is so pretty. 
what right does she think she can do this? Like, do you know how many people wish they had teeth like her or looked like her? Mm. And she's in great physical condition. Like, why does she think this is the, who gives her the right to think that she has it so bad when you look at her and I'm, I'm hearing all of this and I'm like, this is why I want to disappear. Like people can't see that I'm hurting. People yeah. can't see. Doesn't like, matter what no you look like. Right exactly. Like there's no video right now, but like Robert, you look healthy and you're adorable and vibrant and we don't wear it in a way that people can say you have this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So not only are we good at manipulating and lying and faking, but our image doesn't portray any of this brokenness. And they put daggers in my heart in a way that sometimes I'm angry about the things that I said, but I also think it was God using them to say, you have got to stand up because there are more people that look like you and function like you that are on the edge, just like you are right now. Yeah. And because of that, you know, that Psalms 40, you know, being in that dark pit, he reached down, he said, look up child. He grabbed my hand at that point and he set me on solid ground. And from that day forward, I began my journey of rising up and I've been doing it every freaking day since praise um, god yeah yeah that's amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you made it <laughs> there is a there is a freedom that comes with um knowing that your identity is in him yeah and that uh he gives you authority as well um yeah yeah i mean i'm just like yourself i'm not, i mean i'm sure you experience this too but your self-image is so bad and yeah the stigma people don't understand this is an illness you know sure right. there, there's a thing called situational depression and that may play more yeah. into change right but clinical depression there is an illness and it's you don't choose it. I mean, and no one would say that with something else, you know, I mean, it'd be stupid. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. so pretty. Why is she sick in bed? You know, like it, it wouldn't make sense. Right. Um, yeah. What do but, you have yeah. to be sad about? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and truly like they don't know your, your history of anything. And so that is, that's hard to hear. Um, hard that healthcare workers, which I mean, there's bad apples and everything, but that they, Absolutely. that they were viewing it that way. Um, so do you feel like there was stuff that your friends and family did that helped you and also hurt you during this time? Like while they, like while you were kind of walking through this journey? Yeah, I see. I can look back and see a, a lot of enabling. Look, when they did the intervention, I was at my mom's house. They did not allow my mom to be present. Mm. She wasn't able to come out until I agreed to go because she now she sees what was taking place, but then she didn't want to believe that there was any issue to be concerned with. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was loved as I was where I was, but it was in a way that allowed me to continue living the way that I was living. And even though they thought they were helping, they were hurting, they were enabling, they were encouraging me to continue doing exactly what I was doing. Um, a lot of people used me, you know, because I was vulnerable and I was weak and I was, I was so focused on serving and giving and doing 
that I never thought about my own needs. I never put boundaries in place. I never protected myself. And my husband would get furious because he would see it happening. And, you know, he wanted to protect me. Um, but as a result of the failed suicide attempt, when I actually was in um, one of the behavioral centers here, I had one of my journals in there. And one of the things that I kept praying for was that my husband's heart would be softened and he would give his life to Christ. And my suicide was exactly what he needed to give his life to Christ. Yeah. So I look at it and I'm like, God used that yes. to save my husband. And with that, my faith just blew up. His faith blew up. And as a result, our relationship was able to be exposed in a way that we could go to work on it and together we could grow as individuals we could grow as a couple and together we were striving for that same thing which was you know to be focused on god every single day together growing and supporting and loving and getting to that point so you know now when i look at the people around me everyone knows of course the stuff i'm talking about today um they know bits and pieces, but they've never heard this version of it. They've never heard this depth, this, this rawness. So, but they know who I am and my faith is so evident. You know, I don't, it's funny because people say, I'm not going to drink the Jesus juice. And I'm like, that's fine. But the more you hang around me, eventually it's going to happen because yeah. you can't, you can't believe in my story, my testimony, my restoration and redemption and freedom and not end up craving a relationship with Christ. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really powerful. So the people around me now, um, it's, it's very different. They're very aware. You know, my husband will recognize when I'm down instead of saying like, what's the matter with you? You know, there's nothing to be sad about. Why are you sad? Why are you upset? And him getting frustrated because he can't help me. He'll say, you know what? I see that you're a little frustrated. You know, go ahead and sit down, light your candle, you know, read a book. I have an emotional support dog and I'll, I'll take care of this. How can I help you? What do you need from me? So the dynamic has changed because we're both wiser. We're both willing. We're both craving that healthy dynamic in our marriage and in each of ourselves that you know the bar has been raised as a result of that and you know god has been present through it all but now it's at the point where we both go to him first whether it's as individuals or together and that has become the pivotal moment that our marriage now is something that I am incredibly proud to share because I don't care what you're going through. You can restore it. You can get to the other side of it, but you can't do it if God's not in it. If you don't invite him into all the parts, you will stay stuck. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And it's, it is so amazing to me that your faith was strong through all of this, but yet your husband was the one trying to like, keep things alive. And I do think that's really an interesting kind of thing. I think we were quite opposite in that where, um, 
Yeah, I was really, completely opposite. I was like grasping <laughs> to the Lord. Like that was all I had to grasp onto. The only reason I could say that I was begging Robert to, you know, to hang on. And I think that Robert was like pushing away from the Lord, pushing away from me, pushing away from family. So it is, it is interesting to hear that from you. But I think that's, again, you're a walking testimony. And back to what you were saying about a lot of people haven't heard this deep side of your story. Um, I think it honestly, we've learned and, and I'm sure you, you know, know this too, but the more people have heard Robert's side of his story, the more people are willing to learn and understand, but also it has opened their eyes to a lot of things that maybe they never understood or never explored. And even my mom and dad were saying last night as they were talking to us, it has been so good for them to hear his side of the story because it's helped them to understand what we were walking through, why we did things the way that we did them. Um, just, it brought, it brought a light onto a lot of things. And I think a lot of people have heard my side of it, but it's so different when you hear the person who's walking through it, their side, it makes a difference. And so I I think it's going to be an amazing thing for people to hear your side of what you went through. As yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, man, I, I think if we get more people just that are open with their lives, like, okay, Lord, use me as an example. When the shame goes away and you're like, okay, I'm boasting in Christ and what he's done in my life. And oh, yes. there's a rawness there that we can bring to the church body at large where it's not just, hey, that five minute, how are you doing? Or welcome to the church or what? You know, it's, it goes deeper than that. And I'm, I was looking up some verses. I was just reminded, you know, in Acts, it's like, and they, well, here, I pulled it up. But um, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And it's like, that's so much deeper than just a Sunday. That's, and it, yeah. it's, there's a sacrifice there. It takes work to really be invested in people's lives. Um, but I think it's crazy. And I'm sure you've experienced this when you're open, people just become open with you. It seems. Yeah. It's like, Whoa. Okay. It's so important because our story is what provides that even if it's small, just enough of an opening where someone can relate and suddenly what they're carrying isn't so heavy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that gives them the strength to take one small step forward and each small step forward leads to something bigger but if people like you and i aren't willing to share then no one ever gets to see the opportunity to know the truth that you are not alone you don't have to do this alone there are people that have been there they can help you get to the other side of it and when i think about she'll rise how this business has evolved you know, I've been through therapy and counseling and I've done all of those things. And I kept feeling that there was something missing. I needed more, you know, I'd go in and talk and talk and talk, which is good to release it, but that wasn't enough. So with show rise, I went in and created a program that fills the void. So yes, we talk about what's going on, but then we strategize with the tools and goals and action plans to get you moving forward. And each time they achieve something, 
they now feel empowered because, okay, when that comes up again, I have these tools to use. I have these people that I can talk to. I know that I can share this here. I won't be judged. I'll be supported and poured into. And, you know, these women are coming out on the other side of it. They're like, I never thought this was possible. I never thought this was possible. And then in addition, you know, they're inviting God in and, you know, I have one of the clients who posted in the group on, on Saturday. She's like, I just did a thing. I, 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 I did a thing last week. I felt on my heart that I needed to go to church and I went, Wow. and it, I mean, the group just went wild. It's like, you know, so sharing our story and I don't want all the Christian women. Yeah. I want all women. I want all the parts of the women and I want them to see what is possible and they see what is possible because I'm willing to share all the parts of my story and the women coming through my program begin to share all the parts of their story. And, you know, God is working. I know it's him. They don't know it's him. But eventually <laughs> it gets to the point where they're like, I'm, I'm feeling this, like I'm craving this. And and then I'll start to introduce, you know, okay, well, let's, let's do this Bible app and, and let's start to read these books. And, you know, it's just infusing it in a way that it just feels natural and it feels organic and they're healing and rising up strong as a result of it. And it, it all comes down to people like myself and, and people like the, the two of you who are willing to be obedient to the nudge of God saying, stand up, speak up share your story because it is exactly what one other person needs to get to where you are. Absolutely. I need you to be the hands and feet here on earth in the flesh so that these people know there is healing, there is freedom, there's restoration and redemption. And I have tattooed on my arm, um, Deuteronomy 31, six, it says, be strong and courageous. It doesn't say try it doesn't say tomorrow, or maybe you could, it says be strong and courageous. It's about being willing to choose every single day in the moment to be present and to draw strength in a way that you can be strong and courageous and, and walk in your, in your purpose, yeah. you know, yeah. break free from the chains and the bondage and step into the potential that God has for you and step into, you know, this, this image of what he has created for you. And like you said, Robert, like when you know, your identity comes from him, like, Oh my gosh. Like when people say, well, who are you? You know, in the past, it was all kinds of roles and responsibility. Now it's like, first and foremost, a child of God, whatever yeah. comes after that is fine. But first and foremost, that is it. And because of that, I can stand here today and I can share what I'm sharing with you and be vulnerable and exposed. And, you know, I can, I can feel the shift in my breathing and my heart rate. I don't have the goosebumps now. I feel yeah. peaceful and I feel like the healing deepens and the freedom deepens every time I have an opportunity to, to show up as my fearless, authentic self and be strong and courageous. I love that. Melanie, um, tell everyone where they can follow you and where they can like seek, you know, all of your things that you have to offer as far as like your coaching and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is Melanie underscore D like dog underscore Wilson. 
Um, very active on Instagram, daily posts, really challenging thinking, sharing my story, offering action steps and so forth. Um, there's also a link in there that gets them the opportunity to get plugged into the, the She'll Rise Facebook group. Um, I have a private Facebook community um, that is a safe place to land where these women are met with compassionate action. Um, the opportunity to fill out the form to book a free call, um, to really have conversation and to see if we're a good fit, to see if my program is a good fit. Because like I said, I don't want you know, just any woman to come through. I want the woman who says, I am fed up, I am worn out, I am finally ready to break the chains and flourish. Um, and then on Facebook, it's shillrise.com and it's um, shill, but you take out the apostrophe, so it's shillrise.com. Okay. <laughs> um, has to do with water and shells and, and all that, that good stuff. But yeah, so Instagram, Melanie underscore D Wilson, and then Facebook is she'll rise. Okay. And we'll link all of that in the show notes as well. So everybody can have access to it if they need it. Yeah. Was there something you were going to share? Yeah. <laughs> I just had one more thing coming to my head, but I, you know, I do want to encourage people because um, so often when you're in a, you know, dealing with depression or, or anything, just you can have so much shame and guilt and just a negative self-image and I, you know, definitely want to encourage people, you know, uh, I feel like the Lord brought to my mind, um, the parable of the two sons where, you know, the father sees his son that wandered off, right. Coming down the road. Mm-hmm. And he's, it says he's filled with compassion and then he runs to him. And it's like, that's how the Lord is. I, you know, it's even in simple things, people be like, oh man, I really messed up today. I'll, I'll get, I'll do better tomorrow. Like you need a, to sleep off the sin and then you're ready to go with God again. You know, it's like, but if you just realize his love and the beauty of the gospel, you know, that you can come to him. He already knows who you are, what you've done and he loves you, yeah. you know? And, uh, so yeah, I just want to encourage people That's in that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and being so vulnerable with us. I know it's not easy, but we are so appreciative that we've had you on today. So I just wanted to say thank you. And yes, we're so excited to be able to, to share your story through our, our podcast. Yeah. I'm grateful for you guys. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And you know, having the opportunity to share and, and be on a platform where it's it's honored and respected because there have been times in the past where I've shared and it's kind of been dismissed in the conversation. You, know, you talk about the suicide attempt and like, oh, that's unfortunate. Well, what made you get into coaching? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I want to express, you know, just extreme gratitude for you guys being willing to have these kinds of hard conversations and you treat them with such honor and respect and you're very sensitive that, you know, I didn't feel in any way that there were parts that I couldn't disclose. And like I said, today is the first time that I have shared out loud um, things that, you know, only my husband and and daughters know. Yeah. Um, So I am. Well, that means the world to us. And yeah, praise God. We are, trying our hardest to be a, a comfortable place for people to come and rest in. And, and we are so thankful for you truly. And we cannot wait to see He's just how use God it. uses yeah. this story and uses Absolutely. you. And we're excited to, to continue on this journey. So again, thank you.
Yes, thank you guys. Hey folks, real quick, I wanna tell you about a need to have product for your home. The Auto Fire Guard, or better known as AFG Fireball. This product performs better than a fire extinguisher or overhead sprinkler system. Ashton and I wish we had known about the Fireball prior to our house fire, but we sleep better now that we have one. Get yours today at CoraDistribution.com. That's Q-U-O-R-A Distribution.com. And use code HELDTOGETHER at checkout for your discount. Again, that's HELDTOGETHER. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in our episode this week. We hope you subscribe and give us that five-star review. We would like to thank Alex Mannering for our artwork and Audio Jungle for our music. The podcast was done by Robert and me.